Hello and welcome to another episode of The Neutrinos Are Mutating, the science and film podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University, where we investigate the science fact behind the science fiction. I'm Sam Lingworth. And I'm James Redfern. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the 2015 film Concussion, directed by Peter Landsman, brought to us by Village Road Zero Pictures and starring Will Smith. I found a disease that no one has ever seen. Repetitive head trauma chokes the brain. The NFL does not want to talk to you. You turned on the lights and gave their biggest boogeyman a name. You're going to war with a corporation that owns a day of the week. No proof was presented today because there simply isn't any. So James, concussion, what's it, what's it all about? So it's, it's, I found this a very interesting film. I, d- I didn't really know what to expect when I sat down to watch it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, so I'll, I'll briefly kind of go over it because there's actually not... Considering some of the other science fiction movies we've watched, this isn't science fiction. It's based on a, a, a real event. Um, the plot line's a lot more simple than some of the things we've seen. So essentially the film revolves around a... Uh, forensic pathologist by the name of Bennett Amalu, uh, working in Pennsylvania. So he carries out autopsies as part of his job. Um, he's a real guy, uh, and he carries out an autopsy on, obviously a dead, uh, but quite famous NFL player by the name of Mike Webster, who died at the age of fifty, so relatively young. Mm. And he played for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, and he had been complaining before he died of neurological issues. So he'd uh, had some memory loss. He had bout of aggression, saying weird things. He generally started to deteriorate um, and people wouldn't really pay attention to him. And he died of a heart attack in the end. That's, that, that's what took him out. Uh, but he came to the morgue and this Bennett Amalu um, carried out the autopsy. And he kind of had to look at him, thought, you're relatively young. The brain doesn't look like it should be in that kind of state from what the medical literature knows of those kinds of symptoms and kind of put two and two together and realised that there was something else going on. Um, and upon further investigation, um, came up with a new diagnosis, a new, a new condition, going by the name of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, uh, or CTE, um, which is results from repeated blows to the head. So NFL, uh, boxing, ice hockey, all these kinds of contact sports, if you're constantly being hit in the head. Um, and the idea is that the brain... It obviously sits separate from the rest of the body, surrounded by fluid in the skull, um, and it's that crushing against. I mean, it's a sound. You, you know, when you think about it and listen yeah, to what was going on. Yeah. Um. You know, the brain hitting the skull repeatedly. It's obviously not going to be very good. Um. And this, although it sounds very straightforward, relatively recently come to kind of fruition and and, and understanding in that um, those kinds of sports are creating this kind of thing. So he published this. Um, the NFL did not like this, as you can imagine, uh, because you're essentially saying that the sport is killing people. Mm. Um, had a bit of a power struggle with the NFL, um, and in the end, the NFL kind of came round to it. They tried to hide it. They tried to say that it wasn't a, a big, uh, much of a problem. But now it it is recognised that uh, CTE is a serious condition brought on by contact sports. Um, and even you don't even need to be playing it for that long. It's just a couple of years. It can happen to high school footballers and so on. Uh, and so now has become a bigger research topic. And I think uh, it's still not fully understood. It's still very, mm. very current. But so essentially, um, Bennett Amalu, the, the film 
shows him as the the kind of saviour or the understanding father of this. The whistleblower, this, this, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. He brings it to the forefront. Um, so it's a bit medical and it's a bit political and generally quite quite interesting. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll put a picture up on the blog, but the pic the brain slices of a normal brain versus someone with CTE. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's not my area of expertise at all, but it it literally looks dishevelled, doesn't yeah. it? Like, it, it? Well, it looks like you've got it and hit it against against something, and and you've know, just seriously damaged it. And it, and I think you know when you think about how easy other parts of the body yeah, bruise and, and um, injure, and you know, I went walking the other day up, up a mountain, uh, and I was then in pain for days. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, and that's just walking. You know, let, let alone falling over and hitting yourself or cutting yourself or any of those things. Um, and it fascinates me to think that people have been doing this for such a long time and no one's really ever Absolutely. considered it. And we're going to be talking to Dr. Tom Allen, who's a senior lecturer in mechanical engineering here at Manchester Met, in a bit, and maybe quizzing him a little bit about protection and how we can go down that route. But it's what what really interested me about this film, I guess, was was this it it's just so shady of yeah. the of the NFL yep. and you know I think there's com- some quite serious lawsuits that have been put in place oh, hasn't yeah. there? Since like, then there's been is it like 700 few... million or something like that as a collective lawsuit yeah well, you um, can, yeah and it, you know, obviously rightly so because it it reminds me of the whole smoking thing mm. it's it, there's a comp- there's an organization it's not even just a company it's an organization multi probably billion pound organization yeah. um who have got a secret and don't want it to get out. Uh, and, you know, I, and now the NFL are very open and su- support research into this, but there are still cases very recently of any NFL withdrawing funding from research projects that may not necessarily favour their sports. You, you could, I mean, that's really not a way forward. You can find out more as well as previous episodes at tnampodcast.com. We're joined now by Dr. Tom Allen, Senior Lecturer in Mechanical Engineering at Manchester Metropolitan University. Hello, Tom. Hello. So, Tom, you're a researcher in sports engineering. Yeah, Is that correct. right? What, 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 what does that entail? Generally, it involves trying to understand the kind of the physics and the engineering around sport and sports equipment. The main difference, really, between sports engineering and sports science is we tend to focus more on the equipment and performance related around equipment and injury related around equipment. So, equipment rather than the human body itself, for example. There there is some focus on the human body, say, for example, when looking at the aerodynamics of cyclists, but predominantly it's around equipment and we're quite often be working with sports companies to develop and test new equipment. And am I right in thinking you do a lot of a lot of your works with snowboarding as well? Is we're that working on a project for snowboard wrist protectors. So we're developing a an ISO standard, so an international standard for snowboard wrist protectors. At present there isn't any standard and we're developing a new one. So there's no standard. So no, there's, there's no standard at all at the moment. <laughs> that's slightly worrying. For wrist protection for snowboarding. For wrist protectors for snowboarding. Yeah. So anyone can anyone can make a wrist protector, say that it does a job, and they can sell it, and people can buy it, thinking that it's going to protect them. Exactly, and that's what our project is trying to change. So we're trying to bring in an international standard, which should hopefully be coming out in the next year or so, and that will mean that to be sold as a wrist protector and to be certified, it has to pass the minimum requirements which we've set. Ah. Uh, 
international standards a rarity? Is it more normal for them to happen or is it just that it's taking a while for sport to catch up with this? It depends very much on the sport and the item. So, for example, there's no way that you could get away with a helmet that isn't certified or have helmets without, without standards because that is obviously something which is in people's minds and kind of high on, high on the radar and a lot of attention. But a product like a wrist protector for snowboarding can probably get away with it. Knee pads, for example, things like that wouldn't necessarily. A, a nice example is uh, neck braces in mountain biking. Yeah. There's, you know, they're worn a lot by downhill mountain bikers. It's becoming more and more popular, but there's no standard for those. And I imagine that will be one which is coming next. So you, you talked there about helmets. Um, is that helmets for like all sports, really? That, 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 that normally has to be a standard? Yeah, so I'd say it'd be very unlikely that you'd have a sport where there'd be a helmet and that helmet did not have some kind of standard or regulation associated with it. There's a lot of talk that maybe a lot of these aren't really fit for purpose at the moment, particularly around sort of concussions, a lot mm. of talk about concussion and, and padding. A lot of helmets tend to be hard shells, so they might prevent fracture of the skull, but do little for, you know, kind of acceleration of the brain and sort of movement of the brain inside the, inside the skull. So, so, so you, you beautifully segued onto, onto <laughs> concussion there. Um, so obviously the film we're talking about is, is concussion, but some of the research I was doing prior to this in, in, into concussion, it, it's not really a particularly well understood phenomenon, is it? Like what concussion actually is. It yeah. seems to be quite a broad term that encompasses maybe a variety of different things. Yeah, that, that is true. And part of that is just, I guess, the challenge of doing doing the research and really trying to to understand, particularly when it comes to things like you know, long-term effects. A lot of the sort of early work in terms of testing helmets and protective equipment is you get it in the laboratory, you'd attach some kind of force sensor, and then you'd smash it against something and you'd, and you'd look at limiting that force. But in terms of having a more sophisticated test where you have a brain which moves independently to the skull is, is quite difficult. Mm. So does that impact your research as... Um, it, whether that be academic or industry, if you're trying to create a piece of equipment that is going to try and stop someone from getting concussion, if you don't, if the the kind of healthcare side of it doesn't really understand the mechanics of concussion fully, does that hinder the progression of the equipment? Yes, it does. It does. It does very much. So we have to look at the literature which is available, and then we have a choice, which is to try and do some of that research ourselves, but that falls a bit outside of our area, or take the, you know, the state of the knowledge and go forward and use that. And that is very much an issue that will happen with the wrist protectors. There isn't a huge amount of research on wrist injuries in snowboarding, but still we're having to develop yeah. a standard and take things forward. So, I mean, I think I was looking at some of the statistics in terms of concussion within um, American football, just in terms of the figures from like a, an engineering point of view. And they're saying that some of the head-to-head -head collisions generate 100 Gs. So like a G being um, like 9.81 metres per second squared in, in terms of an acceleration. 100 Gs, is that, is that real? Does that, that seems an ex extraordinarily large amount. I mean, I'm, I'm not really an expert in American football, but I would say that probably, that probably is if you've got two very large people colliding together at full speed and pretty much instantaneously coming to a stop then 
Because I mean, I think is it fighter pilots pass out at about like five or six Gs, something like that, mm-hmm. when it, like over a prolonged period of time. Yeah. So this is hundred Gs in <laughs> like the, instantaneously. This is the equivalent of if you have a helmet and you drop it onto a surface, it's stopping more or less instantly. Yeah. So that the the time in which that helmet is in contact is an order of milliseconds. Wow. So from a mechanical point of view or an engineering point of view, is it possible to prevent that kind of I mean, that's, that sounds yeah, incredible, yeah. So, real. I mean, by putting a helmet, when you think of a helmet, I mean, as you're saying, I get the image of hard shell kind of, and you know what American football or any kind of mm. helmet tends to be those hard shell things. Is that going to do anything, and, and, anything and against De- I mean, Devin and I were talking about this as well, that, you know, if you look at how cars have changed over the past few decades, moving from something that's very, 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 very firm to something that then crumples quite instantaneously to protect the passenger... I was, if you look at like the hard shell of like an American football helmet, it seems to be similar. I wonder if the future of helmets maybe involves like crumple zones or something like that. I think it's, it's much more likely that the, the future of helmets will involve some kind of softer padding rather than a, a rigid, rigid shell that will move more towards concussion prevention rather than skull fracture. And maybe we'll have helmets which are a little bit smarter. So you might have a fairly rigid shell, but then much softer material underneath. Mm. Yeah. And we might be thinking more about rather than using sort of block materials like blocks of foam, structures, auxetic materials, negative stiffness materials, smart materials which move in a in a certain way under impact, rather than just saying, okay, we've got a solid shell mm. and then underneath that we've got a solid block of foam. What's a smart material? So a smart material could be something which behaves sort of unexpectedly. So negative Poisson's ratio material or auxetic material Unlike a conventional material, which gets thinner when you pull it, will, it will expand. We have negative stiffness materials as well, which behave in exactly the opposite way you'd expect when you when you apply a force. And... Wow, that sounds pretty cool. The, I think the th- thing, I guess you must come across is you know taking American football, it's, it's this iconic image, isn't it? Really, of two heads butting together. Like if you if you see the images, it's these two helmets smashing in with like a like a, a smash sign or something when like advertising the Super Bowl or whatever. And it's, if you're doing research or like snowboarding as well, and you find out that actually the best way to stop this is to stop playing or to stop snowboarding, it's how how do you how do you even start communicating that? I mean, or is, is there a point where, at which you have to say, we can only take it so far and maybe... A different technique or a different style needs but to yeah, be Yeah, I think used. going back to the to the previous question about how far can we go with engineering, it's not a particularly sensible approach to just keep building better and better mm. protective equipment. I think it's more sensible to think about the rules of the game and can we change the rules of the game to prevent those sort of impacts. I mean, I was actually at the skiing safety conference last week and a lot of the talk there is about not just let's encourage everyone to wear loads of protective yeah. equipment, let's change the way that People are riding around on the slopes. Look at the speeds. I mean, people are, are going faster now on the slopes. I was quite surprised about it. Even beginners are going faster because the equipment is, is that much better. And oh, the slopes wow. are better groomed. And It's not just the experts going faster, but the average speed for everybody is. And I guess maybe it's up. like, you know, when you've got Volvo drivers who just know that they're going to come out of a collision no matter what, so they'll just drive quite recklessly, in my opinion, of Volvo drivers. Maybe it's the same with people, you know, if, if people think as though they're indestructible because they've got the latest technology, maybe they're likely to make more risks and as a result maybe get more injuries as well. Yeah, I think kind of cha- changing the attitude of the way that people are behaving in these sports or changing the rules, changing 
those sort of aspects is a more sensible approach. But, just... Yeah, but then as you were saying, if those, if that equipment is unregulated or it's it's not tested to a certain standard, it could be advertised as safe and might not necessarily be safe. So there's a false sense of security, I suppose, in the whoever it is doing whatever sport that they're doing. Yeah, there was there was a very interesting study in the BMJ that I was reading. It was about back protectors in snowboarding. So it was relatively straightforward, but a really nice study. So they they got the back protectors, and again, there's no protective standard for back protectors in snowboarding but they adopt one from motorcycles and i think the public aren't necessarily aware of that they use the same standard so they went to a test house and they tested all the back protectors against the motorbike standard and then they went to resorts and they asked questions to people in the resort about the sort of levels of protection that they thought that this equipment offered and there was a complete mismatch between the two wow that's really interesting it's just a case of someone porting it across without actually thinking yeah, think someone thinks, yeah so i wear yeah. this i'll be safe and you say no that will probably limit the injury but it's not necessarily gonna wow. gonna present it so i mean i think you know what's what's really interesting i guess about sports engineering is that there's, there's the protection side of things that we've, we've talked about but there's also the performance side of things as well do you do you think that from your research that you know there's example of equipment becoming too effective so you know if i'm thinking about examples um, that have made the popular press. There's maybe like the swimming suit in 2012 Olympics, where there was like that. Do you remember that? There was like the full body swimming suit that enabled people to be more streamlined, and it ended up getting banned because it gave people an unfair advantage. And Dev, Devin's pointed out curling broomgate scandal in 2016. <laughs> I missed that one. What happened? You know, like in, yeah, in it... curling, the broom. Apparently, on the American version of Dragon's Den, they developed a broom that was so good that it completely changed the game really? and it made that it made that it had to be the the broom had to be removed from the competition because it was making it too easy no way and obviously there's examples in hit cricket as well i think of people using aluminium bats and things like that so do you have these conversations with the sports bodies as well that what at what point does it become an, a completely unfair advantage yeah so we work very closely with the sports bodies as well as the companies and and the teams and yeah it, there is that there is that balance and it depends very much on the governing bodies so some governing bodies tend to be very proactive mm. so governing bodies such as the international tennis federation the rna and the usga who are responsible for golf they have very large and sort of extensive technical teams and technical centers and they will be monitoring equipment they will be looking at things that go outside of the regulations and really thinking about the future of the sport and consulting with, with experts. And if you have that approach, so you're proactive and you essentially you can predict what's going to be the next thing that the manufacturers are going to produce, you can decide if you're going to regulate that and if you're going to control it. If you have a more reactive approach, like with swimming, where you kind of you watch the swimsuits come in and then you realise the records are being broken and then you decide you're going to do something, mm. it's, it's a little bit late and that can be quite, quite damaging for the sport. So do you think in, I mean, one of the things about concussion that really interests me is, is you know, the the courtroom scenes to some extent and the, the relationship that the doctor has with the NFL board. And it seems, you know, and looking at the background story as well, that seems to be very much what the case was, that it's protecting the assets versus protecting the people. But from what you've said, that a lot of the companies that you work with seem to be quite happy to be involved with trying to get those those safety standards right. Yeah, so it depends very much on on the companies themselves, but I'd say that 
the best companies that are really sort of trying to push things forward and bring out the best products, they'll be interested in sitting on the panels when we're developing these standards. Mm. So it's in their interest to be there, particularly if they think that their product is better than the existing standard or is particularly strong and there's other products that aren't particularly safe that are getting out there because there isn't a standard. So a reputable company would say, yeah, we'll, we'll come along, we'll contribute when we write this standard and we'll then be, be invested in our product, we'll be sort of passing that okay. It kind of reminds me of Big Tobacco, that kind of mm. huge force, a lot of money behind them and a critical threat to how they make that money. And, you know, as you, you've, you've actually said that in, in this interview, that probably changing the game is a safer way. You can't just keep engineering these things out. Um, but that, you know, what happens then? Do you stop playing American football or any of those kind of contact sports? I mean, is, is it, I think it really, it makes the role of the scientist, the engineer and the, med- and the medic really interesting in terms of, like, from an ethical point of view. Because they they need they need to be completely um, you know not politicized or not in either camp and just to be able to point to the results and to say look this is the case so you know if if for example you discovered that um, snowboarding results in a ridiculously high percentage of arm sprains which then leads to complications later in life that's obviously something that needs to be reported but you might find that the governing bodies are less inclined to take that on board afterwards. Yeah, that, that is true. And one of the organisations that we're working with on the, on the standard is the, the BFU, so that's the Swiss Council for Accident Prevention. And they've been trying to develop this standard for, for a long time and they're, they're really keen because what they want to do is once we have a standard, they can then get certified products and recommend those to the mm. to the local ski schools. And because of who they are, they don't just recommend them, they can they can then enforce them and say, like all the ski schools have to wear this product. Wow. So there is one side of it you could say, well, if if we know then it could be damaging to the sport, but equally say, well if we know what's happening we can then put action in place to, to prevent it. And I guess that all that's protect the cynic cut on me, that's maybe why some of these manufacturers want to be on these boards. Because if they've then got the rubber stamp of approval it's much more straightforward and quite potentially lucrative for them, I guess. Exactly. And it is very challenging with the standards as well because safety standards are generally a, a minimum threshold or a minimum minimum benchmark. And there is obviously that assumption that, oh, this is certified, therefore it's going to be excellent. Well, it's not necessarily the case. Mm. The, the minimum threshold can be fairly low. Some of these standards can be fairly out of date. So a lot of the, the helmet standards are quite out of date. And one of the themes that the... The conference last week was that ski helmet use has increased. We're close to sort of 80, 90% helmet use now, but head injuries has pretty much remained remained level. Really? And that indicates that the helmets that are being used aren't necessarily effective, even though there is a standard in place. That's really interesting. I mean, in terms of... Are there, are there, if a certain big incident happens, do you, do you see a spike in interest and a spike in maybe people cracking down? For example when Schumacher had that horrific skiing accident a few years ago in intensive care, is there is there an, an, a sudden movement then for people to think, okay, this needs to be readdressed, we need to get that on board? Or is it more a long-term thing? I think it brings it to people's attention. And it is, it is definitely a long-term thing. So, so at the conference last week, every, every conference people are presenting data and the, these trends are kind of coming out and people are aware that there's a problem. But sometimes, again, 
I guess maybe it takes a larger event, sort of external, mm-hmm. to, to bring to more people's attention, maybe the people that control the funding <laughs> for things, to then start actually changing. Okay, excellent. Right, well, thank you very much for joining us, Tom. Appreciate Thanks. that. Thank you. This podcast is supported by Digital Innovation and the Faculty of Science and Engineering at Manchester Metropolitan University. Great listening to Tom there talking about, you know, how sports engineering can be used to protect and also help to enhance performance as well. And, you know, it strikes me talking through him that the film actually represents a lot of these issues quite quite well. Yeah. I would again chatting to Devin, our producer, about this film beforehand. If we were just to look, I mean, just in general anyway, at this at humans from an anthropological point of view, right? We are funny, aren't we? <laughs> like if you if you were to, we we make all this hoo ha about going as like, you know, these like let's say white westerners going into all the like going into like the amazon or whatever and going oh look at those people aren't they strange wearing those long neck ties or like doing strange things in terms of rituals and everything we literally have a multi-billion pound industry where people run into each other's heads yeah and where we suppress the research into that yeah it's crazy from an anthropological point of view what are we doing? I know it's this mad. Is absolutely you kind of mad. Sit there, watching these sports, you kind of sit there and just completely dissociate the fact that they are humans smashing into each other. So I went to an NFL game last year when it came to London, and you know you get well into it. There's all the fire. There's the mm. t-shirt guns. There's you know, it's all like the people waving flags. But actually, was very American. Yeah, yeah and it, oh, of course, it is. they just import America into Wembley Stadium for a couple of days a, a year. Um, but essentially, these people are just running around, hitting each other, you know, bouncing into each other, bouncing into the floor. And that movie is it's peppered with these shots mm, of American powerful, football. Isn't it? Yeah. And like, you know, these collisions and people just diving headfirst into the ground or into other people's heads. And yeah, you do, when you stop it, and they, they talk about kind of the beauty of the sport. And I do see that. I mean, it is, you know, what, what these people are doing, the way they're jumping and catching these things and running is incredible. But there's got to there's got to be a balance between <laughs> destroying your life yeah. and, and and being a professional sports person. I mean, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, we're talking in the interview with Tom, with Tom about G's, but I think the av- every single snap, so every single time there's the collision after after kickoff or after um, pass back, it's 10 G's. Yeah. Every single time, 10 G's. That's just, it can't be good for you, can it? Can no. it? Just, just imagine all. now if we got up and just busted <laughs> each other. Like, you wouldn't then just carry on running around. It just it like it just doesn't make any sense. So what do, what do we think then about about the film? Good film, bad film, good science, bad science. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I'm not normally a, a very big Will Smith fan, so at first I thought, oh, here we go, another Will Smith movie because he does seem to churn them out. Yeah, but yeah, this actually yeah. was very very good. I really enjoyed it. He was very well. He he played it very well. Um, and I think because it's current and it's a really important topic mm. and you know it is delivered very well that's yeah i would say it's a very good movie and the science is obviously on point absolutely and i think it's really important for people to watch this to become aware of this issue oh as yeah well. totally because even it's when not, it's not just american football exactly. this is the thing i've got a list here so uh, american football rugby ice hockey boxing professional wrestling stunt performing 
bull riding, rodeo, association football, and other contact sports have all experienced repeated concussion and oh, brain trauma. Gonna have to cancel my evening gig as a rodeo clown. <laughs> yeah, <now> yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If you're, if you're a rodeo, there's probably other things going on as well. But um, yeah. So good. So. Good film. Like I, I agree, it's a surprisingly enjoyable film actually. One that passed me by when it was in the cinema as well. So good film and good science, I think, as well. Yeah, and, and, and important and science. Important science, I think that's yeah, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Sam Ellingworth. And I'm James Redfern. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.